0: Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up rockabilly track. Now rallying the locals to defend our honor. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the amazing nerd show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is The Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's
1: show, we're gonna be reviewing Thor Love and Thunder and season three of The Boys. And we'll also be breaking down the season finale of Ms. Marvel.
0: Plus, we're talking night one of AEW's Fighter Fest. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot.
1: Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing nerd show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdom. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions.
0: Warning potential spoilers for upcoming films and shows ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. Alright,
1: so up first we got Haley Steinfeld returning as Kate Bishop in multiple Marvel Studio projects.
0: Yes, star of Marvel's Hawkeye Haley Steinfeld will be returning to the MCU as far as Variety reports. While there is no word from Marvel or Disney, Variety claims that Kate Bishop is set to be in multiple MCU projects. Whether the character is locked for you know, the small screen or will get actually featured in a film is yet to be known or said by anyone. But to be honest, there was never any doubt in my mind that we would still see Kate return.
1: Yeah, I mean, after the success of Hawkeye, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't get, like, a season two of that mm-hmm. series. Um, I know that originally it was, like, pitched as just, like, a I think, like, a special event or something, you know, along those lines. I think it was, like, a special event series. So, uh, but a lot of people were saying that that was more about, you know, getting in the right, like, Emmy category um so and obviously that didn't help uh but yeah i mean i love the show and i love the character, so i'm hoping that she's as in many projects as possible uh i wouldn't be surprised if somewhere down the pike we don't get like a young avengers show of some sort uh or you know if she doesn't pop up in the next big event you know film
0: i I picture something where they call out clint to come help and he's like I can't do it, but I have a friend who might, (laughs) you know, that kind of situation. Or a
1: situation where she keeps on popping up and helping out other young, you know, heroes. And she becomes almost like that catalyst to putting together like a Young Avengers team.
0: Because in the comics, she's absolutely the leader of the squad. And she's the leader of the West Coast Avengers. So we could always do that too. You know, we could put up a different storyline. You're just trying to upset me. (laughs) 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 I just wasn't a
1: big fan of that book. A lot of people love it, (laughs) if it wasn't for me. (laughs) It was a good time, David.
0: You missed out. Sure. (laughs) That was with Gwenpool? Yeah, Gwenpool Uh, was in that as well, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, not for me. So up next, the Disney Plus series Ironheart adds a
0: Star Wars star to the cast. The upcoming Ironheart series is bringing in the lead of solo a Star Wars stories Alden Ehrenreich, um, adding you know, to the already stacked cast of Anthony Ramos, uh, Manny Montana, Harper Anthony, and Riri herself, Dominic Thorne, who will actually make her first appearance in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Uh, most of these roles are still kind of under wraps, along with Alden's, so I mean, I'm sure we'll get some more details on it as we get closer to the release of Black Panther's sequel, or perhaps during D20 three this year. So I know it's been long rumored that
1: Anthony Ramos might be actually playing the villain The Hood, uh, but I think Alden would actually make a good Hood. So, uh, you know, who knows? I'm just throwing that out there (laughs) Uh, because I have no clue who else he'd be playing. Uh, But uh, he's a great actor, so I'm excited to see him part of the the cast. Also, I don't know if you caught this, but we did possibly get a first look at uh, Ironheart's armor in uh, the upcoming uh, Black Panther film uh, due to like the leak of some promotional art.
0: Yes, uh, kind of like that first armor set she makes uh, back in the comics, not really like the full suit.
1: Yes, it very much
0: echoes the first
1: armor that Tony puts together in the cave. It's pretty crude, but, you know, pretty cool to see. But anyway, moving along, Ryan Gosling debunks an MCU rumor and then starts a brand new one.
0: In a little bit of clarification towards rumors about Ryan Gosling playing Nova, Gosling claimed he will not be joining the MCU for this character. However, while speaking with Josh Harowitz of MTV News, Gosling stated he'd be down to play like a character like Ghost Rider if he had the chance, which I think would be actually decent casting for a Johnny Blaze. Though I think if the MCU were to do you know Ghost Rider, they'd probably do something similar to what we saw in Agents of Shield. Well, they'll probably start with Robbie Reyes and then maybe do a mentorship with Johnny Blaze down the road. No, I agree with that. It really does feel like the MCU
1: is kind of going younger when it comes to the heroes that they're introducing. Um, you know, so I feel like they're probably going to go the Robbie Reyes route. Uh, it just makes sense. Uh, but I mean, maybe they don't want to pass up on an actor the caliber of Ryan Gosling and they start off with you know johnny blaze and then he kind of passes the mantle in the first film to robbie reyes you know maybe it's that kind of situation
0: I mean, they could totally go, <laughs> this would be funny, go the like, you know, Marvel's route where they have like different versions of Ghost Rider. You know, they start off with Johnny Blaze, they do a series about Robbie Reyes, and maybe they, you know, bring them together in a later thing. Or, you know, we we get to see Danny
1: Catch, which is my Ghost Rider. Yeah, exactly. God damn it. <laughs> There's also a female ghostwriter. I I completely forget her name. Um, I don't think she has a current book right now. Um, no, she's in something right now. Is she? There's a,
0: there is a book because I uh, I saw it on the Marvel page. And I got interested in reading it. Um, there's something I forgot what she's her name is though, but she's got like uh, magic powers as well. Well, I mean, all the Ghost Riders have magic powers, Christian. Outside of the Ghost Rider's <laughs> abilities, <laughs> I obviously. mean, they're fucking flaming skulls. <laughs> what are you talking about?
1: She has magic powers. No, I, I know what you made. Uh, yeah, no, I can't remember her name, though. So there was a rumor going around that she could be possibly the new Ghost Rider for the MCU. So oh, okay. we'll see what direction they end up going in. But, I mean, as long as we get a ghostwriter film, film uh, and it's done right and not the debacle that the Nick Cage films were, I'm happy.
0: And the Nick Cage ones were still fun, David. Come on. No, Christian, they weren't.
1: <laughs> they were so fun. <laughs> I was so disappointed and frustrated
0: leaving that movie
1: theater Holy shit. I
0: owned it on DVD, watched it many, many times.
1: (laughs) I'm sure you did. Right after Resident Evil 3. Uh, 2. Okay, that's right. I forgot that's your favorite movie of all time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I don't know if you saw anything about this, but on Twitter it was trending that Penn Bagley could be playing uh, Mr. Fantastic. There wasn't any reliable sources that I could see and I think most people were talking about something from like Reddit so you know take that with a grain of salt yeah no Um I did see that I don't know who Penn Bagley is am I saying his name right <laughs> I believe so Uh he played in You from Netflix I don't know if you ever saw that show no. does creepy real fucking well okay <laughs> so I mean is he talented at least oh no he's a really good actor and I could totally see him in the role but I just don't know if that's actually the way that they want to go for, for me though like if i were to cast him at anything he would be like a batman villain that's how like you know creepy he can get okay you know i would like to see that shit but, okay you know, yeah whatever. i mean
1: it was trendy for a while um mm-hmm. but like you said i didn't see any other sources for the story so i didn't want to bring it up until we had something a little more concrete also you got to figure that we're going to be probably getting a lot more casting news shortly because that fantastic four film is like scheduled to be you know, coming out relatively soon in the next like couple years, like it's supposed to be at the very end of phase four, right? Yeah, I know John Watch like just dropped out as director, so I'm sure they're in like a mad scramble to find you know a replacement. But uh, yeah, I, you gotta think that you know we'll at least be hearing a lot more rumors of
0: like who's involved in this film, you know, in the near future. I'm imagining that they'll probably walk out the four of them on stage at D23. Wow. Okay. I mean, that's just like, what, like a month or two away? Yeah.
1: (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I can see that. Maybe next year's. Because I don't... When?
0: Okay, so how many more films do we have left in Phase 4? Like four or five? It's got to be because they just said that Thor was the halfway point. So it's got to be around four to five films left. Okay, because, yeah, we've had about five films, right,
1: if you Mm -hmm. count Black Widow. Um, yeah, yeah, so it's gotta be in the next, like, couple years. If they're doing, like, three films a year, I mean, unless they just decide to push it back to, like, Phase 5, I guess it doesn't really matter. You know, it was just kind of cute to have the Fantastic Four in Phase 4, right? I'm sure that's what Kevin Foggy was thinking.
0: <laughs> I mean, they make their own rules, right? If they wanna say that Phase Five starts after Fantastic Four, then they'll just Yeah, say who the fuck it, you know? are we it's... to argue with them? <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> no, Kevin, you're wrong. <laughs> All right, lastly, we got some unfortunate news. It seems like the Salem's Lot remake has been delayed.
0: Looks like the James Wan produced film will no longer be joining us in September this year, but instead will release April 21st of 2023, a whole seven months later. Gary Doberman of The Nun and Annabelle Comes Home is on as writer and director and is joined by a lot of James Wan's former teammates. But currently there are no like released reasons for why this film got pushed back. But if it needs more time, then it needs more time. Can't do anything about it.
1: Yeah, this was one of the movies I was definitely looking forward to this year. Uh, But once like, you know, the summer hit and we hadn't seen like a single like still of the movie, I started to really worry that this wasn't actually happening this year. and obviously that was the case uh they're uh, you know had some kind of setback that they're you know willing to delay the film a whole seven months uh but yeah i mean i love the original and you know i gotta put my trust into james wana's team to you know at least honor the true spirit of the first film so yeah i guess i just gotta be a little more patient and wait so christian well i'm not a lord of the rings guy i know you're a fan Uh, So I wanted to give you a chance to talk about the new trailer that dropped for the upcoming Amazon series, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power.
0: The enemy is still out there. The question now is where?
1: It is over.
0: You have not seen what I've seen.
1: I have seen my share.
0: You have not seen. What I. While I'm no Tolkien expert whatsoever, I am a fan of the fantasy genre and really did enjoy Peter Jackson's trilogy, but I wasn't really a fan of the Hobbit trilogy at all either. Uh, This trailer, at least, for me, leans more on that Peter Jackson feel. Visually, it looks stunning. This trailer does a great job of showing off locations you know, that we're going to be visiting throughout. But what this trailer doesn't do is give us a good idea of what the show is still going to be about. You know, we get moments with Gladrielle warning of impending doom, while at the same time, it seems all the other elves are ready for peace and asking her to stop this witch hunt. But beyond this, there isn't much else that they you know, really give us from the story, which in my opinion, I kind of like to go into shows and movies as blind as I possibly can. But with this being the longest trailer they have released so far, many seem to expect they would be getting a little bit more of an idea what the plot was going to be. There has also been a lot of online backlash around Amazon making a prequel to Tolkien's work. But in this day and age, I've grown numb to all of this. You know, there's going to always be, you know, sequels and prequels and remakes. It's just a fact of life. And nothing I've seen from these trailers, especially this one, has stopped me from being interested in what they're trying to make out of a second age story. My main concern so far is that I'm hoping they really do capture that Peter Jackson feel in the end. You know, there's... A part of me that worries that, you know, with the popularity of shows like Game of Thrones, that the show could be more like that in the end, especially playing around in a timeline where you can invent as many new characters as you want and kill off as many characters as you want. It could possibly run into that type of show. These new elements can be just as hurtful to what you're trying to make as they are helpful. On top of that, they're gonna be dealing with a lot of legendary characters and hopefully they really capture what Tolkien was going for with those characters, even when they're at a younger age or younger point in their lives. It all really just depends on if they have a good script. I really am hoping they do, because I would like there to be a little bit more fantasy shows and stuff like that going on right now. But we'll have to wait and see what goes down in the Rings of Power when it releases on September 2nd.
1: All right, Christian, it's time to go ahead and break down the season finale of Miss Marvel.
0: Warning spoiler alert. Major spoilers for the Miss Marvel series ahead. You have been warned. I am the light girl.
1: You're what? Nightlight. Oh my god! I had no idea! You told them already.
0: We launch into the finale where damage control is inspecting the damage they caused to the Circle Q. Here, Agent Deaver exclaims her distaste for child superheroes and orders her men to bring in Comrade alive. Though last night she sent a drone to murder him, so. Who knows what she really wants. I'm guessing this is more of her
1: just covering her tracks. I'm glad they're kind of setting up here with this like small conversation. Her disdain for like superheroes and that maybe there's like another motive behind her actions, because I can't imagine this being like an agency-wide edict, you know, to just murder children in the streets. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Before the title card, we catch up with Bruno helping Kamran get around on the subway, but it seems damage control has already closed in on them. Here we get a look of Kamran's ability as he's not really able to control it at this very time, especially while in this very stressed out state as he sends out a blast of hard light on the train. Yeah, they do a good job
1: of really establishing how dangerous his powers could possibly be. Um, I don't know how you felt about the CGI here, but I thought it was a little wonky looking.
0: I still felt like it was on par with what they had been showing off with uh, Kamala's abilities. I think maybe the color throws me off a little bit, but beyond that. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. I, see, I didn't feel like it was on par with
1: what we saw with, like, you know, Kamala's powers. So, um, but I don't know. I guess it's subjective.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I guess Art is subjective, but they're trying to do some weird, like, sharp edge to his that doesn't work too well. Like, I don't feel like it's any more dangerous than her ability. See,
1: I disagree. I thought he was at, like, serious risk of, like, impaling someone on that train. So I was like, I don't know what you're doing, Bruno, but you need to get this guy to some kind of facility to get (laughs) this this dude's powers under control because someone's going to die. Right. So it might be wrong, but maybe I actually agree with Agent Deaver. Not the whole, like, murdering him in the streets, but, like, you know, getting him, like, you know, to safety.
0: Sure, Damon. Sure. Kamala, who's made it home, decides to unveil her superhero identity to the rest of the family, in which her mother Muniba has already actually spread the word to the family. None of them are shocked, none of them are worried, or even a little bit concerned, but instead, they're actually proud of their superhero daughter. However, in the end, the father does rein it in a bit about showing some concern, making sure that you know she really is ready for the responsibility of being a hero.
1: So after being a little disappointed last episode, you know, to say the least with, you know, the mother and grandmother's reaction and kind of like that lost opportunity for a bigger moment with the reveal of, you know, Kamala's powers, um, I thought this was a nice moment overall. I think for me, I just kind of had to like recalculate my expectations for the show. Um, cause you know, it's definitely more of a young adult kind of, you know, storytelling style so you know it is what it is this was a cute moment and you know i'm glad that they at least had the father express some concerns Uh for you know his daughter being this superhero
0: kamala who has been ignoring her phone this entire time for some reason gets interrupted when nakia reaches out to kamala's brother trying to facetime with her this is when, you know, she finds out about what actually happened with the Circle Q. But before Kamala can actually run to find her friends, Maniba stops her with a present, which actually turns out to be her first superhero costume as teased by the show, in which she takes for a spin on her way to find Bruno.
1: I really thought this was a touching moment between mom and Kamala. Uh, the actress is playing uh, Maniba. Uh, I think is doing a fantastic job. Uh, you know, she feels like a real mom uh you know i like the symbolism of her giving kamala her first real costume you know really showing her ex- her acceptance of this new role for her daughter um although i would have liked them to kind of showed how you know the costumes made up of you know different parts of her journey throughout the mm-hmm. series because i felt like that kind of got lost and i don't know if you caught this christian but like there were some like photos leaked from the set of uh, Marvel's and it looks like they already changed her costume which I thought was kind of disappointing because I love Miss Marvel's costume. I think it's one of the best like you know like uniforms in you know Marvel Comics right now so I don't know why they would bother you know messing with it especially since it's just introduced you know at the Uh end of this season. So, like, by the time we see her next, like, she's gonna have a whole new look. I mean, maybe that photo's from, like, the end of the movie or something like that, who knows? But I hope she at least gets to, like, rock the look, you know, for part of the film.
0: Maybe it's just, like, a special suit she has to wear for something, you know? Like, how they all had that special time suit for the Avengers mission, you know? You never know. (laughs)
1: Yeah, this was more branded like Miss Marvel, though. This looks like some kind of, like, alternate version. So, I don't know. Gotcha.
0: Bruno brings Kamran to the mosque, in which Nakia explains the mosque is already heavily under surveillance by damage control. Nakia then comes up with a plan to get them to the high school. Meanwhile, the DODC make their way in, getting stopped by Sheik Abdullah, who's clearly covering for the kids. With the whole mosque helping Bruno and Kamran get some you know, classic Marvel disguises from Abdullah.
1: So I did bump up a little against this. I mean, I guess they know Bruto, so they are just, you know, trusting that this other child who has these powers that could definitely put everyone in danger is someone worth, you know, putting the whole community at risk, uh, but I get it. I understand the message they're going for. Um, I did love the touch of, like, their disguises literally just being hats. You know, very on-brand for the MCU. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh,
0: why wasn't damage control just covering every exit while, at, while they're, they're at it? Why are they so underfunded, man? are obviously horrible
1: at their jobs. I
0: mean, look how easy <laughs> it was to break out of their prison.
1: Exactly. And somehow oh. Abomination has to be able to make his way out. You know, but this, like, group of, you know... C-tier, like, super villains were able to
0: break out with, you know, belts and hammers. Making their way towards the high school, Bruno and Kamran hide out in an alley when the cops drive by. In the alley, they actually get found by Kamala, though their reunion gets cut short as Kamran once more loses control of his power. During so, you can hear Najma's voice calling out to him. By nightfall, the three of them make it to the high school. Though so right before entering, Kamala calls the Red Dagger to you know help get Kamran out of America. At the school, Nakia catches up with the three of them and kind of buries the hatchet with Kamala. Meanwhile, Damage Control arrives, having somehow tracked them down. And as the group attempts to devise a plan, suddenly popular girl Zoe chimes in that she's been at the school making TikToks and that she knows Kamala's secret, though never actually giving her up to damage control.
1: Yeah, so apparently she knew Kamala's secret the entire time while she was being interrogated by damage control and just, you know, decided to keep it, you know, hush. Um, Yeah, this kind of came out of nowhere and felt maybe a little unearned. Uh, Like, once again, I know we keep on saying it, but, you know, the show at times feels a little Disney Channel, and this is definitely one of those moments. Uh, But, you know, it is what it is. I mean, Kamala does befriend her in the comics. So I guess they decided that we need to kind of rush that relationship. I'm not sure why. Um, I don't know how much she really added to like the finale. But I mean, this episode was really about like everyone kind of rallying around Kamala. So I guess this was more of that.
0: I just feel like her role could have been easily as done if it's just like she went by the school and saw that damage control showed up and you know she's fangirling over, you know, Miss Marvel, so she's going to of course bring her fans along with her anyway. I feel like there was another way to do that without, you know, I know who she is all this all this time. Like I said, it does feel a little unearned. So, uh-huh. cuz it felt like she was going to be kind
1: of the Flash Thompson, if you will, of yeah. this story, which I mean, would have been a little like copy and paste, but You know, it just felt like there was more meat on the bone and they just kind of decided to fast forward and like, let's get to where we're going. It's a little rush.
0: While strategizing, Kamala's brother shows up saying he's been, you know, keeping an eye on her per, you know, their mother's request. Kamala sketches up, you know, a funky fresh plan to get Kamran to safety, and they begin preparing for such plan. Though I'm not sure why the DoDC decided to wait so long to assault the school. Uh, you know, they gave them like a whole hour or two to actually prepare for them.
1: Funky fresh plan, huh, Christian? You, yes, funky you're fresh. You're just being pissy now. get out of here Uh so yeah I mean I cringed a little when the brother just showed up out of nowhere Uh, but I understand like he wants to protect his sister but it did feel very like I don't know sitcom-y yeah like how did you get in with you know damage control literally surrounding the building (laughs) and I also was hoping that there was at least a conversation with Kamala wanting everyone to go so you know not to put them in danger you know now that you've got like literally soldiers outside armed soldiers outside and you know a kid with powers who you know doesn't have them under control um you know it's a pretty unsafe situation so i thought maybe she would you know at least you know resist the help um you know not to put anyone you know in harm's way uh but i get it like the theme of this episode and really the whole series is all about like community and everything like that. Uh, So it is what it is.
0: Anyway, we find out back at headquarters that Agent Cleary is none too pleased with Agent Deaver and her plan to break into the high school and get the kids, as it's bringing huge negative press to damage control. But even after being told to stand down and evacuate, Deaver presses on. So for me, this was a
1: huge sigh of relief. I mean, I'm glad that, you know, they established that Deaver is like gone rogue here and she's just kind of working on her own. And she just obviously has a grudge against superheroes for some reason, Um, you know, because I was like, there's no way they can justify, you know, damage control you know going to these lengths to bring you know a kid in uh so that, at least logically, helped me with the story here. Because otherwise, I was going to be like, they really needed to do a better job of explaining exactly what was in that, like, superhero registration act that they passed, you know, how many films, you know, ago during, like, Civil War. Because, like, I mean, was there something, like, that said literally either you register or you die? Because that's what's pretty much <laughs> happening here, right? And why is Damage Control in charge of this? <laughs> yeah, and honestly, I was I was wondering if, you know, the act was still in effect after the blip,
0: so apparently that's the case. I mean, until they establish new law, I guess, yeah.
1: I don't know, Christian, I thought maybe after, you know, the superheroes saved everyone that they might, you know, kind of let things slide. (laughs) Although, I mean, Scott Lang's out there doing podcasts. So he's no longer a wanted man, so he must have at least gotten a pardon. I guess, yeah. Maybe just everyone who, you know, was part of that, you know, you know, taking down Thanos got a pardon.
0: Someone at, you know, Hall H just bother Kevin Feige and ask these questions for us, all right? Or don't. (laughs) 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 They don't really matter. Before Damage Control breaks in, we get one more moment to try and help explain Zoe's sudden turn to the light side, and Kamala and Bruno talk about what went down in Pakistan, explaining Kamran's mother is actually dead which they both agree to keep secret until after getting Kamran to safety. Next we get a Home Alone style chase through the high school as damage control attempts to close in on Kamran and Kamala. During this, Zoe goes live on social media to get her thousands of fans to show up at the high school. The group uses school hoodies to mask themselves so the soldiers can't tell who's who. Though for some reason, Kamala and Kamran stop wearing theirs as they're about to get cornered. Um, Here, they hide behind a table, sharing a moment where they almost kiss. But Bruno shows up, giving them an escape route. Poor Bruno, always the ducky, right?
1: Always. So yeah, this whole sequence is completely preposterous. Um, (laughs) But I still enjoyed it. You know, I mean, it is very Home Alone. The fact that they're taking on armed soldiers with, you know, softballs and smoke bombs and loud
0: music um but you know whatever i just i I don't know why the biggest thing that annoyed me about that was that Comron took off the red jacket i was just like why would he do that after starting off that scene dressed in the hoodie like everyone else like why would they decide to get on the two that they want to be that don't want to be found why would they not want to look like everyone else that's in the group that made no sense to me yeah, and I mean, for me, it was more like, why is it Miss Marvel front and center
1: using her powers, you know, to take on, uh, you know, these, you know, soldiers, but I get why they'd want to, like, save that big, like, power display and action sequence for the very end.
0: The team's plan slowly but surely gets them all put in custody, all while Kamran and Kamala nearly get out of the school. On their way out, Kamran makes it clear he doesn't want help from the Red Daggers, but instead needs to just find his mother and the clandestines but Kamala's silence in that moment seems to give Kamran an inkling that something has happened to his mother. But before they can even talk any of that out, more agents arrive on the scene. Kamran becoming more enraged by the minute unleashes his power on damage control agents, but Kamala does her best to protect both the agents and Kamran throughout the sequence. While on the run though, Kamala does explain some of the events that happened to Najwa in Pakistan, which devastates Kamran, who's now more than ready to kill damage control soldiers
1: yeah i was starting to wonder if this was really like the origin story of you know miss marvel's first you know big villain i know that's not you know the case for the character in the comics but it definitely felt like they're going to go the route that route here
0: it really was leading that way outside zoe's fans have amassed to see cameron emerge from the school when cameron doesn't listen to orders from damage control they open fire with now lethal weapons in which kamala again shields them from Kamala's parents then get a front row seat to see Kamala's hard light get shattered by a large Sonic weapon. This brings Kamala down, but not out, as she uses her hard light to enbiggin and destroy the Sonic cannon.
1: I thought this was a really good, like, cheer out loud moment, like, seeing her powers on full display and her using them like she does in the comic books. Um, Because I was wondering exactly, like, how far they were going to go with her power set. Like, would she actually be able to, like, really enlarge herself and go, like, giant size like she does, you know, in the book so often? So it's cool to see that they're going to, like, you know, have that part of her abilities. Um, You know, we'll see how often, you know, they end up tapping into that. Um, But, yeah, as a parent, like, watching these soldiers shoot at my child you know we would definitely be having to
0: sit down talk afterwards like oh you're not doing this anymore (laughs) Uh (laughs) but it's comic books comron then starts getting back into the fight and sends a car hurling at damage control but in his brashness he didn't realize he was also sending it towards the large crowd luckily kamala is able to use her powers to catch the car Then out of nowhere, Kamran starts unleashing wave after wave of his power as hard light starts growing outward from him in every direction. Kamala makes her way to him and puts both of them within a hard light bubble. In Kamran's anguish, Kamala explains further what happened with Najma and how her actions were all to protect her son in last week's episode, explaining she truly chose him in the end and not the veil, Kamala convinces him to still make his way to the harbor and then punches a hole in the ground to help him escape. Though I don't know if there was a sewer or anything down there or if Kamran's just chilling in a hole till everyone leaves.
1: So I was half expecting her to like, you know, talk him into like giving himself up until he can get his powers under control um but i understand you know i guess the thought was if he gets to the red daggers they could help train him um Mm -hmm. so but yeah no i kind of thought maybe he would give himself up at this point but i guess at the same time they can't really you know trust damage control either so i mean Sure, it's a giant hole. Whatever, it's, it, it works. This is the same show, Christian, where they fucking use softballs to take on these armed soldiers. So, it is what it is, man. A softball can hurt people. A hole in the Get ground doesn't hide it. Fucking softballs. <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna let that go, you gotta let the hole go.
0: I can't, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Maybe she
1: just got lucky and there was a sewer underneath her.
0: I sure hope so.
1: That That is a possibility.
0: Damage control then tries to capture Kamala, but the people of Jersey city stand in their way, giving Kamala a chance to escape. And as she does, Agent Deaver then gets a phone call um, and finds out that her choices ultimately got her fired. Yes, thank God for some
1: sanity. Uh, My guess is we're going to probably see Deaver pop up somewhere else, maybe working for Fontaine or something. I could see her being a villain, like showing up in multiple, you know, situations uh, whenever they need like an evil government agent. But yeah, I mean, this was very Spider-Man 2 with the community rallying around Kamala. Um... I'm a sucker for moments like this, so it totally worked for me.
0: We then get a scene of all the characters from the show reacting to what happened on social media, which we find out is all from Kamala's perspective as she's scrolling through it all. Getting onto the roof of her house, Kamala's dad stops her before she leaves on patrol or something uh, just to have a chat. Her dad, Yusuf, tells Kamala about, you know, her saving one life being so important as we see the effects of her actions taking place across Jersey City with her friends. And we also see um, Kamran getting accepted by the Red Daggers, Yusuf goes on to explain the meaning behind her name and how, in some translations, it means Marvel, calling her his little Miss Marvel before she actually travels out for the night, running on her hard light in the sky. Man, this show
1: does these moments so fucking well, and really, like, it's these kind of moments that made me fall in love with the show. Um, you know, I thought this was really touching. I'm glad that they gave this moment, you know, between you know Kamal and her dad. Um, You know, since he wasn't really in, like, the last two episodes, right? No, yeah, he, no, he
0: pretty much wasn't in any of those episodes because they were all, it was only her and her mom there.
1: And I also really enjoyed getting, like, the MCU origin story of her name since, you know, Carol never went underneath the moniker of Miss Marvel. So even though it's probably unnecessary, I like that they kind of, you know, put a little, like, family touch on why she's, you know, choosing that to go by that name
0: yeah you knew that they were going to introduce it somehow in this show i just didn't know how and i thought this was still like a, a nice touching moment to do it you know in this way half I guess. the time
1: in like you know these superhero movies and shows it's just like some you know news headline Right? Like, you know, uh-huh, yeah. marvelous girl, like, saves the day or something like that. Or in quotes, Spider-Man stops muggers, you know, something like that.
0: I mean, I think she's still going to have a hard time getting rid of Nightlight, though. Yes. Because I feel like that works and with I, her powers yes, very right. Well, I feel like that's
1: probably going to be, like, an ongoing joke.
0: But once uh-huh. again, it's
1: nice that they went out of their way to give, you know, her name kind of a personal touch.
0: Before the episode ends, Kamala joins up with her friends a week later. Bruno, who now drives Kamran's car, talks to Kamala about, you know, some irregularities in her family's DNA, stating that there's a mutation in her genes. As we hear a piece of the classic X-Men theme play in the background. Yes!
1: Fuck you, Inhumans! <laughs> I don't know if I said on the podcast, but this was always my hope. <laughs> Even uh-huh. in the comics, like, I would always be like, man, I really wish she was a mutant and I guess the writer came out recently saying that she originally was planned to be a mutant and I'm guessing and she didn't say this but I'm, I'm kind of speculating here that I'm guessing it was probably an edict handed down by like the higher-ups in Marvel mm-hmm. you know say no she needs to be inhuman especially like since they are pushing the humans so strong during that period of time when her character first debuted since, you know, there was this edict from Disney that they weren't supposed to kind of feature the X-Men as much since they didn't have the movie rights. Um, Exactly. So I'm guessing that's why they made her inhuman because the writer was almost giddy in the interview talking about the fact that she's a mutant. (laughs) (laughs) So I love this. I mean, she's, I guess, technically the first... MCU 616 mutant that we're seeing. Yes. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, we got Professor X in Multiverse of Madness, but he's, you know, from an alternate reality, so I don't feel like that really counts. Um, because then you've got to acknowledge Black Bolt and, you know, fuck that guy. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> just not an Inhumans guy. So I, I really feel like Kamala works, you know, as like a mutant. And I feel like she could serve as a great like introduction into that world if they choose to use her that way.
0: Now, while Kamala is definitely going to be a mutant going forward. Um, there have been, you know, fan theories and stuff like that that the pulse coming from Comron uh, could be p- potentially their way of doing Inhumans in this in their in this time, I guess, in this universe without doing Terrigen myths. but you know, using the veil as a way to unveil everyone. Well, they
1: also what um, there was that theory that like something with the snap. Um, like cause like some kind of radiation uh. that would trigger these like mutations uh, in people's DNA, you know. So there's been tons of theories. It doesn't mean anything. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see why Foggy would choose to do mutants at the same time as humans. You know, like I'm not saying like somewhere down the line he doesn't introduce Inhumans, but mm. since we know that mutants are definitely like on the slate, um, to be popping up soon in the MCU, I feel like th- his focus is going to be there before he starts, you know, even thinking about, you know, reintroducing the Inhumans into the fold.
0: Oh, exactly. I mean, th- I feel like that'd be a clusterfuck if you try to yes. do both at the yes. same time. And once again, fuck the Inhumans. Like always, there's a little something here after the credits, where we see Kamala at home, maybe after you know patrolling Jersey City, and getting scolded about doing homework by her mom. Suddenly, her bangle lights up, and she is flung through her closet, though what emerges from the now broken closet door is not Kamala, but Carol Danvers, as it seems they must have swapped places before their inevitable meetup in the Marvels film.
1: Yeah, for a split second, I thought they were, you know, going into that storyline where Kamala morphs into Miss Marvel when she first Mm -hmm. gets her powers. Which would have been fine, but I was actually kind of relieved to see that it was actually, you know, Carol Danvers. As we see her, like, you know, look around the room really startled and kind of, like, run out of there right away. (laughs) So it does feel like this adds credence to the Bengal being, like... You know either the nega bands or the quantum bands whatever the hell you want to call it mm-hmm. uh you know since this is kind of an aspect of the bands that we saw originally uh with uh the first captain marvel where rick jones would uh summon captain marvel and you know trade places with him in the negative zone so i'm wondering if that's going to be a storyline that they're going to be playing around with in marvel's uh but i guess we'll just have to wait and see
0: yeah i'm wondering if it's gonna be a situation where you know carol found the other band or what they're gonna do i'm also i want to know what you know the ten rings have to do with all this i want to know where that story goes since they you know found that symbol in that cave it would only make sense because
1: carol's also there at the end of uh, shang chi where they're trying to explore where that like mysterious signal is coming from
0: You know, so I'm guessing it's all connected somehow. It's just crazy how much they've introduced in this phase alone with, you know, different dimensions now, different timelines, different planets and galaxies and realms. It's just a lot (laughs) that they're throwing at us.
1: Yes, I mean, they definitely expanded the scope of the MCU
0: since phase three, and now really like
1: nothing seems off the table.
0: But well, all right, Damien, it's time to give our final reviews for Miss Marvel. So even though it's definitely not perfect
1: and maybe the young adult storytelling style isn't necessarily for me all the time, I did think this was a fun series that introduced the world to one of Marvel's best characters. I mean, if done right, I think Kamala could connect the same way as many generations did with Peter Parker. And even with the show's lighter kind of tone, I do have to give them credit for not shying away from like heavier subject matters like the partition. Uh, It was awesome seeing the Muslim culture shown in such a positive light for once. And I'm sure there's more stories like that to come. I mean, at the end of the series, I was truly left caring about these characters. It wasn't just about what Miss Marvel's next big mission was or how it all connects to the grand scheme of things when it comes to the MCU. And that's what happens when you have good storytelling and great performances. So that's why I'm gonna go ahead and give Miss Marvel.
0: I mean, yeah, there are plenty of praises to saying about this show because I personally have wanted Disney and Marvel to tell you know different stories and do them in unique ways so that the MCU doesn't get stale, but this show in the end was just maybe too young adult style and easy for me but like i'm i know i'm not you know this show's target demographic. So first off for the you know positives here, they did such a great job with the connections and story we got between Kamala and her family, which for Ms Marvel is an incredibly important aspect to nail down. And while i disagree with you know the show's direction as far as how the last two episodes played out, you can't help but love Kamala's family dynamic. It was you know very easy to smile during every moment she had with her parents and brother. Chemistry was everywhere with this show and Iman Vellani and the rest of the cast felt genuinely close to one another. And while seeing her with her band of friends and family work through everything positively was OK, I just can't help but wish there had been, you know, enough time to put in the emotional weight of being a hero and lying to those close to her. Even without a solid villain, I think focusing on story beats like that for the conclusion of this series could have made this a next level show. And something I would have expected from a Miss Marvel comic as well, let alone I think this cast really would have pulled off that type of story. But unfortunately, I didn't get anything like that by the story's end, which made the lack of a compelling villain a little harder to take. I personally had a large drop of interest during the season finale. But that's not to say, you know, that if or when Ms. Marvel gets a second season or solo project after Marvel's that they can't tell a cool story with one of her rogues gallery. I really want to see all these characters return in the MCU beyond, you know, brief appearances in other shows and movies. And I think that's kind of a testament to how much they made me care about Kamala and her family to begin with. So for this series, I'm going to give it a C+, but I do have high hopes for the future of Ms. Marvel. And I'm excited for where this goes in the Marvels, which is set to release July 28th, 2023. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Hey you, got bush? Well, you definitely do if you haven't
1: tried the best products from our sponsor today, Manscaped. Taking control of your bush is important. These products are so good, you're gonna be showing pride in your new bush-free yard. It's a fact that you'll have the best-kept nut sack on the cul-de-sac, so save big and be the most hygienic version of yourself by using our discount code 20NerdShow for 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com.
0: Listeners, you know I don't got bush because Manscaped helps keep my rocket raccoon high and tight. Whether you're looking to go bald like an eagle or just in need of a safe trim, Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game.
1: Listeners, the grooming package I highly recommend is the Performance Package 4.0. That's because inside the package is the Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is a Bush's worst nightmare. This trimmer is designed to reduce grooming accidents and shave hair on loose skin, thanks to its ceramic blades and advanced skin safe
0: technology. No need for night vision goggles, this trimmer has a LED light to allow you to mow the lawn in the dark. It's basic landscaping. When you trim the hedges, the tree stands taller. The second best tool in the performance package is the Weed Whacker. This fine-tuned nose and ear hair trimmer will make sure your nasty nose pubes are under control. Instantly add some pep
1: to your step with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Spray-On Testy Toner. With a performance package purchase, you get two free gifts, a shed travel bag and the patterned high performance reduced chafing manscaped boxers. They have a bunch of other products on their website to help you maximize your confidence and grooming gain. So listeners, get
0: 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. Kate Bush may be trending at the moment, but your bush needs some help. That's right, so make sure
1: you're running up that hill and get 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped.com by using our code 20NerdShow. It's time to level up your grooming game with the ultimate bushwhacking tools from Manscaped. Alright Christian, so we both saw Thor Love and Thunder this week,
0: so let's talk about it. Warning spoiler alert, major spoilers for Thor Love and Thunder ahead. You have been warned. And now, our feature presentation. There's a mania who seeks to end us all. I will create a well of suffering and pain. We must do something.
1: So this is my vow.
0: All gods will die. Today,
1: we'll fight. This ends
0: here and now. Behold the legend of Thor, as he enlists the help of Valkyrie, Korg, and his ex-girlfriend Jane Foster to fight Gore the God Butcher who intends to make all the gods extinct. This was directed by Taika Waititi and stars Chris Hensworth, Natalie Portman, and Christian Bale. So, Thor and Thunder is the definition of a mixed bag. It's as
1: entertaining as it is frustrating. Meaning, while I enjoyed myself for most of the film, walking away i couldn't help but think about what could have been the film bites off more than it can chew and unfortunately does a disservice to its two main storylines jane foster and the villain gore's arcs both struggle for screen time and don't get me wrong they definitely have their moments to really shine throughout the film but it's all too fleeting. It just feels like the story really needed another film to accomplish what it wanted to do. So we open the film with Gore's origin story and instantly I was hooked. We see a man who's committed his life to his religion, but after the heartbreaking loss of his daughter, he discovers that the God that he spent his life worshiping has forsaken him and has truly never really deserved his faith. Given the opportunity by chance, he fiercely lashes out and pledges to make all of the gods fall. It's a chilly moment and his motives are crystal clear here. You understand and identify with his anger, but we never get much follow-up when it comes to his mission. Sure, we see the aftermath, but that's really it. And Christian Bell gives an unnerving performance when we do actually get to spend time with him, but it would have helped quite a bit in getting across what a true threat he is if we got to see the full wrath of his rage. So on the other side of things, when it comes to Jane Foster's arc, it just never quite lives up to its potential. While it has some heavy emotional moments and Natalie Portman is fantastic all thor out, I just wish everything had more time to breathe. Her arc would have carried a lot more weight once again if we got to see her as Thor for maybe like an entire MCU phase. Taika did a lot with the little and I thought he did a great job of showing just how much Jane and Thor mean to each other, but it still was too little in the end. Also, when it comes down to it, I kind of felt the same way about Velka. While Tessa Thompson is always a joy, she feels very much along for the ride in this film, and really has no character growth whatsoever, and she just deserves more. Like, she's solely there for punchlines, it feels like, and while Taika walked a real fine line balancing the humor and drama in Ragnarok, here he crosses that line a little too much for my liking, and it's to the detriment of certain scenes. I mean, by no means am I saying this is the entire film, don't get me wrong, But, like, there's a scene where all the kids are kidnapped from Asgard, but Thor seems more concerned about seeing his ex-girlfriend and this love triangle happening between him and his hammers. Like, that kind of uneven tone really just subtracts from the main narrative. Like, if Thor barely cares about what's going on, then why should we care? So I know I'm probably coming off overly critical, especially of a film that I actually found very entertaining. And while Love and Thunder, don't get me wrong, is no Ragnarok, it really is a fun film regardless of its flaws. I mean, it's filled with some hilarious moments and some awe-inspiring action sequences, and it's scored to Guns N' Roses, so what's there to complain about, right? I the film, just like Ragnarok, has a lot of heart with some strong, emotionally charged scenes. So I guess, really, at the end of the day, it really boils down to what I was saying before. There's just too much story for just one film. So that's why I'm gonna go ahead and give Thor Love and Thunder a B minus.
0: Like Damon, I can at least say I enjoyed the humor of Thor Love and Thunder, as I am a fan of Taika Waititi's comedy, but this film never got me to care about what was actually going on in it. It felt like a bit fest, as every scene was chock full of jokes beyond its opening and ending. The journey just hits you with way too many punchlines. Now, I'm not sure what was left on the cutting room floor, but I think I could have let a lot of this go if there were just some moments where Thor broke down and we saw that this was you know, just him simply putting up a front trying to play the tough guy character while he's actually freaking out about the actual situation he's in. You know, The closest we get to this is when Thor learns the truth about Jane. But Thor himself just comes off too meat-headedly throughout the film, not taking any bit of it seriously. Which, as Damon said earlier, if my hero doesn't seem to care, why should I? I mean, yeah, it was funny. I laughed at several moments throughout, but ultimately I was disappointed by the film's story. Christian Bale does a great job as Gore. The character is pretty awesome to look at on screen. It's just a shame that we barely get any time with him. One of my favorite moments of the entire film was getting to see his battle with Thor, Jane, and Valkyrie as they played with the color to really make a visually stimulating fight sequence but alas, I was left just wanting more when it came to gore. While Jane's story doesn't make light of her situation and is one of the heavier parts of this film, it too struggles to find its place amongst the screaming goats and angry Stormbreaker. Again, there were plenty of cool moments with utilizing the broken hammer pieces in fights, but alas, I was again left wanting more when it came to the mighty Thor. I mean, it's not news that I wasn't the biggest fan of Ragnarok, but after this one I definitely had a little bit more appreciation for that previous film just because it showed a little bit more heart in the character of Thor while this one played everything just for laughs and you know none of this was a performance or casting issue I simply think it came down to script and whatever was left out of the film and with all that said I'm gonna give Thor Love and Thunder a C minus. All right, now it's time for our review of Season 3 of The Boys. Warning spoiler alert. Major spoilers for The Boys Season 3 ahead. You have been warned. The whole point of what we do is that no one should have that kind of power. We're all we've got. It's up to us. By the heroes and
1: So while we reviewed the first half of season three a couple weeks back, we did want to give our final thoughts now that the season's over. And I mean, holy shit, what a ride. I personally thought this might actually be the strongest season yet, uh, as the show just seemed to go into overdrive with every episode topping the last somehow. Uh, I actually started to worry at one point that I missed something and this was actually the series finale. But thankfully that's not the case with Amazon recently green-lighting Season 4. So, the satirical nature of the show this season was on full display, with just a pitch-perfect lampoon of the current climate of the country. But underneath that, we also got the strong theme of family and what that exactly means resonating throughout. Just about everybody was put into a crisis of some sort when it comes to their own version of that idea. This really helped make each character arc almost feel manic more than usual because most of their unconditional safety nets seem to be lost to them, giving the season this feeling of spiraling out of control at least more than usual. And while to a certain extent, the show always feels unpredictable, with the blood and guts of it all. This was really the first time that our main characters felt truly in jeopardy. And that's all due to another amazing nuanced performance by Anthony Starr as Homelander, the best villain going today, bar none. I mean, the fact that he hasn't been nominated for any damn awards is an absolute crime. He is terrifying throughout this season and just feels so unhinged like he's gonna snap at any minute, especially when he starts to realize that part of society is willing not only to turn Turn a blind eye to his actions, but actually wants to celebrate them, uh, just giving him the approval that he's always craved. Uh, this made the boy's mission to take him down even more paramount than ever. I mean, really, to the point where, in the last episode, I was on the edge of my seat for the entire duration, cheering every twist and turn with them delivering one of the more satisfying season finales of the year. So, I'm not sure how they could possibly follow up what we got here in this season, but I'm sure at this point that they'll find a way because the boys is just the high bar for the superhero genre in my book. And season three is an example of what the genre can deliver when done right. So
0: with all that being said, I'm going to go ahead and give season three of the boys an A. I mean honestly I have to agree, it feels like the end of The Boys as a show is near just because I'm not sure what more they can really give us at this point. But at the same time, The Boys delivers every single season and always finds a way you know, to surpass my expectations. Beyond the Gory Fun is a show with a plethora of characters that you're rooting to see succeed at all times. This show gets you cheering for heroes and villains as compelling performances continue to just knock it out of the park. This season simply stepped it up from last, which did get high grades from us, but the main thing I griped about last season was over Frenchie's storyline and how it kind of slowed down the pace of the show, in which this season, his story with Kimiko you know, was more of a spotlight, and I feel added to everything that was going down by the finale. The team was more divided than ever, and as Damon put it, no one felt safe. With the addition of Jensen Eccles' Soldier Boy, I was left wondering how exactly the finale would play out and whose side he'd actually be on, which you know they knew that was going to happen and played with the viewers until the very final moment. And again, the show's commentary on real life events was on point and does a great job of continuing to mock and echo everything that's going on in our day-to-day lives. So I often talk about with all the superhero movies and shows that we do, you know, all of them trying to reach that next level. And I think The Boys is simply that. So I give season three an A+. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. (laughs) This past week in gaming, we got a new rewards program from PlayStation announced. Do you want cash for playing games? Well, PlayStation Stars is offering points towards your PlayStation wallet funds for playing through games, getting trophies and more. Those the Platinum a game the quickest in a time zone or territory will earn special rewards, creating a race to get trophies now in new titles. Um, Beyond wallet funds, you will also be able to spend points on collectibles ranging from common to ultra rare that Sony believes will be worth fighting for. They also confirmed that these wouldn't be just like nft rewards and actually might have some physical rewards and collectibles as well outside of that news we also got word from the long-awaited follow-up to the skate series which announced a new name for the game and gave updates to the players showing off super early gameplay of what is now simply being called Skate period, instead of Skate 4. Now, it seems like the game will be less of a standalone title and more of a free to play service game. While developers rejoiced in their announcement, fans viewed this as kind of a bit of a letdown. They will begin bringing in players to try alphas and betas as they open up this pit for a multiplayer experience. Now, was this what you were hoping for with Skate? Let us know at Amazing Nerd Show on your favorite social media platform. Other than that, you can check out the Amazing Nerd Show on Twitch as we are opening up some more old retro games and classic games from the Xbox 360 we're gonna be checking out that on stream soon as I do have some plans with that there's a couple games that I always wanted to play and they were or finish uh, that I think would be cool to do on stream so I'm gonna be starting to do that as well in the future plus we are still currently playing Bioshock uh, we're playing Elden Ring we're doing our own WWE 2k universe so you're definitely gonna to want to check out the streams every chance you get we also started playing PlayStation exclusives as well that starts on wednesday so we are live wednesday through sunday and the schedule keeps on burning now let's move on to wrestling
1: match for the first ever barbed wire everywhere match i'll tell you the reason why because this is it kingston this is the final fight in the kingston jericho saga and what a saga it is but once i beat you You can crawl back in your little hole and continue your drinking and drugging and depression and mind problems and mental issues and every other you shut up and every other excuse you have
0: to cover the fact that deep down inside, you know, you will never be at Chris Jericho's level ever. (laughs)
1: All right, Christian, this week we're talking night one of AEW's Fighter Fest.
0: Uh, Without further ado, let's jump right into it. Well, first we have the TNT Championship. Wardlow putting it on the line against Orange Cassidy. Of course, Wardlow went over.
1: Yeah. uh, So when this match was announced at first, I was definitely surprised. It feels like you're kind of going up against the grain, uh, Mm -hmm. having babyface versus babyface, especially with Wardlow just capturing that title and them trying to recapture the momentum he had before the MJF, you know, blow off match. So I don't know. I was a little worried that the crowd would turn on, you know, Wardlow, especially since, you know, Orange has been so over recently. Um, they worked the match to the point where, you know, that wasn't the case, and I thought, you know, it was pretty entertaining, you know, at the end of the day, but at the same time, I didn't feel like anyone
0: really gained anything from it. No, I feel the same way. I- I I didn't see, like, I I was like, why are they putting Orange Castle? It just felt more like something, especially for a first match, maybe like a Buddy Murphy, someone that we know that's like in a, you know, mid-card heel role. Yeah,
1: like give him a heel for, you know, the crowd to all get behind Wardlow and just watch him demolish. You know, and maybe I'm just too much of a late 90s kid and I'm likening Wardlow way too much to Goldberg. But I feel like that's the way he needs to be booked right now. And that's kind of what got him over in the first place. Yeah. Where Orange is such a popular character that I could see the crowd kind of like turning on Wardlow. And, you know, he was definitely getting those cheers. But at the end of the day, they still kind of seem to be split and behind Wardlow after the bell rung. So I'm glad for that. But I mean, <laughs> there could be a scenario where, you know, you have the crowd turn on him and then all of a sudden, you know, we're back to square one, and Wardlow's lost momentum all over again. Um, Orange Cassidy is definitely a master of his craft, though. Like, all the shit in the beginning was hilarious, you know, and I thought the comedy worked well enough where it didn't make Wardlow look like the fool. Um, where a lot of times that's the case in Orange's matches, mm-hmm. but, you know, just having them go back and forth, you know, with, you know, Wardlow ripping off the pockets and then, you know, Orange putting up the singlets and then, you know, the best friends pulling out a fucking chainsaw. <laughs> I mean, you got to give it to the best friends. I mean, they said right up front that they're going to have to cheat because Wardlow's so fucking big. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and that's exactly what they did. Um, it's just weird because I felt like Orange would actually be in line for like a world title shot soon like i thought they were kind of like grooming him you know to be like a contender against moxley um in a match that we still know that you know moxley's probably going to go over him but you know something that you could do on tv for like one week uh but i guess that's not the case i just i'm I'm curious to see where orange goes from here
0: i mean who knows with Orange, I mean, they throw him in random fights all the time. I mean, he's he's going to be fine, and they'll find a fun feud, I'm sure, for All no, Out. No, I
1: agree. It just felt like he was getting back into, like, the form he was, like, right after the Jericho feud, where he was starting to get hot again. Because uh, for a while, it just felt like he was kind of treading water, um, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I, it just, I don't know. I guess it just didn't make any sense for me, booking strategy-wise, to have these two, like, hot baby faces go up against each other at this point when you know their trajectory is you know going up. You know, cause just I don't know, it's just dangerous. Like bad shit can happen. We've seen it before. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to get in a heel town, that's not gonna work. Yeah. Oh yeah. absolutely <laughs> not. You don't want to derail anyone's momentum once again. So mm-hmm. uh but anyway, I mean at the end of the day that wasn't the case, thankfully. Um hopefully Wardlow squashing heels you know next week and I do hope to see him defend that title at least a couple times a month so I'm happy that you know right off the bat he did have a title defense I thought that was great But make sure it's against the right people.
0: Up next, we had a little promo about Pac's defense of his All-Atlantic Championship against Shooter in Rev Pro. Gotta love all the chants over in the UK, by the way, every time. Yes, yes. The bastard (laughs) chat was awesome. Uh I was like, we need that here
1: in the States. Exactly. Um, I love that they did this. This uh, actually aired on Dark last night. So I want to see them do more of this. You know, especially if Pac is defending that title around the world. You know, if you're going to air it on Dark, then give us like a 30 seconds of it on, you know, Dynamite. And they did this later on, too, with Thunder Rosa's title defense uh, in Japan. So I want to see more of this. I, I, hell, I want to see highlights of Dark, you know, every week. You know, give me like, you know, key highlights of Dark, you know, especially if it's, you know, someone that you know in a couple weeks is going to be on Dynamite. Let's do this. Just dedicate 30 seconds every week, Mm -hmm. you know, to a package like this. I think it'll do wonders for your card and just, you know, and informing like your more casual fans of what's going on elsewhere, you know, in your product.
0: No, like I've said before, it'd be so much better than, like, just having that lower third that they do with, like, showing it like it's an ESPN. That
1: no one pays (laughs) attention to. No. Right? You know, just show us, you know, the winners. Give us, you know, the finishers. And that's it. It it literally could just be 30 seconds long. And I don't think it's going to hurt your ratings at all. If anything, in the long run, it's really going to add to your show because, you know, these people aren't just showing up on Dynamite cold. I mean, how many times have we been surprised by someone's, like, record? You know, like for a while, oh, like yeah. the claim was like twenty and 0 or something crazy, or the uh-huh. gun club was like undefeated, like the record was ridiculous
0: <laughs> i and we'll talk about her match later, but Anna Jay being twenty three and two yes, this year like, apparently. What?
1: or you remember like Jay Lethal was also the number one contender, and we uh-huh. hadn't seen him in like months,
0: <laughs> but anyway, up next, we had a promo from Chris Jericho talking about the past that Eddie Kingston's had with friendships and how they all pretty much go downhill whenever he gets involved. Then, you know, he would bring up his own past with the barbed wire match and how he's, you know, been the first person in Canada to ever win that match.
1: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not buying that story at all. <laughs> <laughs> I hope someone looks that up. So, uh, <laughs> I'm sure that was all part of the gimmick. Uh, uh-huh. I don't know how I feel about Jericho going back to the pain gimmick. Especially with him being heel right now, it just doesn't make much sense for where his character is, you know, as the quote-unquote sports entertainer, um, you know, because I feel like we're seeing, like, you know, we're supposed to be seeing the softer side of Jericho, mm. so the fact that he could just, like, you know, put on some fucking eyeliner and be this, like, <laughs> ultimate tough guy doesn't make much sense, because it's like, why, well, why didn't you do this for Blood and Guts? You know, where was, where was the pain maker during, you know, that, you know, huge match? So, but whatever um they should do a bit where like you know Kingston like pours water on and wipes off his makeup or something like that
0: <laughs> that would be funny I I just feel like is it another excuse that he's gonna be able to make like oh you beat the pain maker but you still haven't really beaten Chris Jericho like you think that's Uh-oh. some stupid shit he'll say I mean I could see a heel Jericho pull it
1: trying to pull some shit like uh-huh. that but I doubt it I feel like this has to be the blow-off match gotcha. and I, I love the stipulation of barbed wire everywhere like, what the fuck does that even mean? Like, is it going to be like, like... Is it going to be
0: on the shark cage, too? Like,
1: <laughs> like, is it going to be around the the guardrails and the ring posts and shit like that? Like, I mean, are they going to have it backstage? The concession stand? Isn't it? Is it basically false count
0: everywhere? I think. I mean, it's a death match, so I don't I don't know.
1: Huh. Well, whatever. I,
0: it's going to be a spectacle, whatever it is. So <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be a lot of blood. So, of course, I'm uh-huh. looking forward to it. We come back from commercial break and Kingston's pissed off that he didn't get the same amount of time as Jericho, but he's in the back calling him out, saying that he's more than happy to go to war with Jericho next week.
1: Oh, this was a great promo. I do hope they're using Ruby as more than just a prop here, you know, for this match. I'm hoping that Mm -hmm. she somehow gets involved, you know, in some kind of feud with Ty. I'm assuming that's going to be the case. We do see Ty later on, uh, but there was no mention of Ruby. Uh, I know she's rocking a cast right now. and I, I was like, "Is that a legitimate cast, or is this just for, you know, this program?" So I, I'm starting to wonder if like she's actually her because I felt like they were gonna go to Ruby versus Ty,
0: you know, yeah. sooner than later. But that doesn't seem to be the case right now, at least here. I mean, I would hope that she wasn't injured and then they slammed a door <laughs> on her hand. But although you you saw that segment, I mean. <laughs> It wasn't very
1: convincing at all. (laughs) (laughs) And that was pre taint I still can't get over that. Uh I was like, why? I mean, Ruby's literally holding her arm there for you. I
0: was like, how did they get by you guys? But anyway. Up next, we had the interim AEW World Championship Eliminator match between Jon Moxley and Takeshita. Jon Moxley actually ends up winning this match, which with this type of matchup, you would think... This would be an opportunity to give Takeshita a possible win over him.
1: Yeah, I was wondering that too. And I guess like you don't want your champion in just kind of like a non-title match for the sake of a non-title match, at least, you know. And I think it's probably an unspoken rule at this point too. Like if your champion does get pinned in a non-title match you would think the person who's doing the pinning would get a title shot. Um, But, you know, they got to give a fancy name to it. Uh, But I was starting to wonder, like, you know, Takesh has been featured on a lot of, like, high-profile matches if there was a chance that he could actually get the pin on Moxley. And you could have it be kind of fluky and, you know, set up, like, something for Moxley to do and, like, actually defend his title uh, against, like, in a small program, you know, for, like, next, like, month or so. Uh, you know, something, you know, to look forward to, at least, because right now, like the main event title picture just seems like directionless. And I know he just, you know, won the title and we're two months away from the next pay-per-view. But I feel like he should be, you know, in some, like, should there should at least be a hint of some kind of program to come. So I thought maybe there'd be a small program happening here. Um, mm. But I don't even know Takesha's like, contract status. With AEW. <laughs> like, I don't know if he's here on excursion, kind of like, you know, the New Japan like uh Young Boys do. Or if, you know, I believe he's a bigger deal. Like, he's an established star in DDT. So, you know, the, I don't feel like that's probably the case. But, like, how long do they have to cash to, and How much are they going to be willing to actually, like, invest in him?
0: I mean, I'm afraid that they're going to do a ton of these until All Out. Like, it's just going to be... John Moxley in a million different eliminator matches because they can't figure out a storyline. And you would think with like them having these like TV specials like Fighter Fest, and there's probably going to be like a fight for the Fallen or something beforehand. Yeah, you know that they would build like little mini feuds for him at least to those. And that's what seemed like was happening with the
1: you know the Brody King match.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: I don't want them also to have all these kind of like. I don't know, four scenarios that like, you know, the number one contender has to go through to get a match, like a fucking, you know, rampage rumble or whatever, yes. you know, I'd like, and the problem is, is like their rankings are just so all over the place right now that I, I can't trust them to book that well enough. To convince me that that's the legitimate number one contender, I just feel like they need to like organically build someone, you know, to that number one contendership, where they feel like a legitimate contender again. Um, and I, I feel like it would only take a couple weeks to do so. You just give someone some TV time and a couple big wins, and then. It makes sense, you know, like at this point, I think everyone realizes what a joke the rankings are. So and if you just say, oh, well, it's really more of a power ranking deal and it's all about like, you know, the strength of the opponent, then, you know, you can have a situation where you have like Moxley going up against Orange Cassidy even though Mm -hmm. he doesn't have as many wins as fucking, like, I don't know, Max Caster does on Dark. (laughs) Because that's the problem they get themselves into, is, like, they have all these, like, you know, lower mid-card guys raking up all these wins on, you know, Dark and Elevation, and then, like, they have to kind of logically, you know, play mental gymnastics to make sense of these guys not getting title shots, or, you know, put them in title matches that, you know, no one's really interested in.
0: I mean, with that said, I would just hope that I, I would rather if they're going to keep doing it this way that those people do get title opportunities just so that you can showcase them and maybe get them over with a you know, in, within a big. But match. how much sense does
1: it make for, you know, uh, Jay Lethal, who's a mid card guy right now? I'm not saying he's not worthy eventually of getting, you know, a championship match, but for a Jay Lethal to get a title match before like a Brian Danielson. You know, that's where, logically, it sticks with uh-huh. me. Like, it's like, or you get a situation like Hangman, like, right after he dropped the belt, they had to name an interim champion, you know, or the person who was going to go against Moxley for the right to contend for the interim championship on Forbidden Door. um, And then, like, Hangman wasn't even in the Battle Royal to qualify for the right to fight Moxley. It's Like, well, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> And there's no way Hangman doesn't have a stellar record. Like, he's lost, like, twice this year. So, I just, like, I like the idea of the rankings. It's just the execution that's just been so lackluster, especially over the last year. You know, and I feel like sometimes Tony's booked himself into a corner, and he has to kind of, like, make sense of a nonsensible, like, you know, situation. And honestly, like, I don't know what the answer is.
0: After that match, we had a video promo from the House of Black uh, kind of going over what happened between Brody King and Darby Allin, uh pretty much saying that he's going to continue to attack Darby as they move forward.
1: So, yeah, last week after Dynamite went off the air, they did a little like they had a little moment between Darby and Brody where Darby came out and tried to shake Brody's hand for some reason, you know, telling him that he's a worthy contender um, and then he earned it, and Brody just like walked past him and shunned him, basically. And then I guess at like some signing, Brody ended up attacking Darby. Uh, this is all stuff that didn't air on TV whatsoever. So I'm glad mm-hmm. that they did this package here at least on Dynamite instead of just all of having them in like a blood feud match, you know, next week on you know during Fighter Fest because uh-huh. that's kind <laughs> of how they've been booking, you know, sometimes where they just assume. Mm everyone's following them on social media you know you know that closely where they know every like little angle that they're you know running. so and I, I'm not sure it was weird because I was like was this angle supposed to actually take place on Dynamite and you just ran out of time because I know they have that like three minute
0: overrun. So, you know, I'm not sure what the deal is. No, but like you said, I, I had no idea this was going on between the two of them. And then I find out this week, oh, yeah, Darby Allin's in a feud with Brody King. And it and this worked. This helps. So yeah. at least I know what I'm going into. At
1: least they did a little package explaining uh-huh. the situation. <laughs> so that's more
0: than they've done in the past. After that, a match was set up between Griff Garrison and Luchasaurus. But before that, Christian had a few words... For the Varsity Blondes. Yeah, I was terrified of this,
1: you know, especially Uh because I know Brian Pillman's mom just passed away. So I was like, oh, dear Lord, don't go there. I mean, everyone's seen like, you know, the Dark Side of the Ring featuring Mm Pillman and his dad. So um, I think this was probably the best case
0: scenario,
1: (laughs) Uh, you know, when it comes to like, you know, cringeworthiness. It definitely didn't feel like it went as far as it could have, which honestly, I feel like is a good thing. I wasn't a huge fan of what they did with Luchasaurus here. Um, I thought it was a little clunky. Like, they had, like, Christian show this picture of a social media post that Griff made earlier this week with, you know, him, like, with a jungle background. And, you know, Christian mentioned to Luchasaurus, who does that remind you of? Oh, he looks like Jungle Boy. That was supposed to somehow, for some reason, trigger Luchasaurus. Uh, Into wanting to destroy Griff. I was like, well, we didn't set up any motives for Luchasaurus Uh to have like serious (laughs) like resentment for Jungle Boy. So it just felt weird and off kilter to me. Um, And I'm not buying Luchasaurus's rage in the Uh rain. And I feel like part of it is like his arsenal. It just feels like he's going through the motions almost. Um, I hate his new finisher which I guess is supposed to be like Jungle Boy's finisher, but with like a nerve-like hold. Pinch to it? Yeah. yeah I, I was like, a big guy like that, I mean, he just needs to stick with like some kind of power move. You know, give me a joke slam. Give me a power bomb, Something else. I mean, he's a talented enough wrestler where you can figure something out that's, you know, something that looks more impressive and devastating, especially since there's supposed to be a darker side of Luchasaurus now. Um, you know, so I mean, I feel like they need to kind of fill in the blanks here when it comes to Luchasaurus exactly what's motivating him and why he has so much like pent up anger towards Jungle Boy, you know, because I mean, before this, they were best buddies. So like what exactly happened in the last like three weeks to change that?
0: Like, I don't know if they're trying to leave it vague so that when Jungle Boy eventually does appear and asks the question, you know, or goes after Christian and we find out, oh, Luchasaurus has a legit reason for attacking him. Like, maybe they're trying to just make some big twist like it isn't actually Christian pulling the strings. Then I feel like your announcers need to sell that more and
1: make it make it a point to be like, what is the deal here between Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy? Like, Mm -hmm. make it a mystery To get the crowd kind of invested and like waiting, like with bated breath, to see exactly what's revealed once Jungle Boy, you know, shows up. Um, Also, AEW needs to do a much better job of scoring their fucking tables because poor Griff Garrison's ribs. (laughs)
0: like
1: He definitely fractured Uh a couple. I mean, the fact that he couldn't like go through the table with, you know, Pillman being powerbombed on top of him, that they had to do it twice. Oh, God, that just looked brutal.
0: (laughs) But I have to agree with you with the whole Luchasaurus not really selling it too much because like even after Christian like said, Hey, he looks like Jungle Boy, it it, it I didn't see like he didn't turn around and look like oh I'm getting like fueled by this or anything. He just stood there. Yeah and then and it, I didn't I didn't get it. Yeah,
1: he just kinda like slowly walked down the ring. Exactly. Yeah, like like I said, it feels <laughs> like he's going through the motions. And while I feel like Christian's been like red hot as a heel the last like month or so, I just felt like tonight. And I don't know if it was just a case of the audience not really being into it, it just it just didn't feel like it worked, like nothing really clicked. Like he even had a hard time, like getting a response from the crowd. And like I said before, I felt like this crowd was definitely a little off and not your typical yeah. like AEW crowd. So maybe that was part of the issue. But typically Christian's talented enough to eventually fish that response out of the crowd. But I guess that wasn't the case tonight. Um, And it also might have to do with, you know, the audience not being completely invested in Brian Pillman, you know, Junior, you know, where, you know, when he's attacking someone like Jungle Boy, you know, the crowds behind Jungle Boy 100 percent or Pillman, we see him, you know, once a month, maybe tops. Mm -hmm. So and like, I don't know how many of like the more casual fans really know Pillman's backstory and who his dad is. So, I mean, typically the AEW crowd's a pretty smart audience, so I'm guessing a good portion do, but if they don't care about Pillman, they're not going to have the same reaction to, you know, one of their favorites or being attacked.
0: Up next, we had a backstage segment with uh, JAS pretty much complaining that they're going to be in a shark cage. That was mostly 2.0 and Daniel Garcia in the back. Uh, And then Daniel Garcia talked about how he is a dangerous man going up against Utah, for that Ring of Honor Pure title. Again, this promo from him felt like something I would get more out of uh, uh, the Combat Club rather than, you know, J.A.S., but... I really enjoyed Garcia's
1: promo, though. I thought it was uh, well done. Uh, they need to give him more time on the mic, honestly. Uh you know, he feels like kind of like the killer of the group. I liked to line about uh, Yuta like doing his best like cosplay as him. I don't I don't know. Yes. Yeah, I'm paraphrasing. I don't know if that's exactly mm-hmm. what he says, but I thought that was really well done. Um, you know, they had a heated feud, you know, before they both arrived in AEW. So I think it's cool that it's like carrying over here or on ROH, I guess. Um, I, this honestly made me wish this match was taking place on AEW tv (laughs) though so uh, i'll be happy when this pay-per-view is over with because i I do feel like it's kind of hindering you know the rest of the show right now when it comes to the booking because you know con's really having to jump through hoops to like promote roh at the same time as promote you know AEW. so hopefully they get tv sooner than later you know fingers crossed
0: i don't know if we talked about this on mic or on the show at all but like the moment that Guevara showed up for the team, did you catch, you know, uh, Garcia looking at him in a kind of crossway? You're talking about the night that Sammy officially, like, joined the team? Yeah, because it was it was that, that night where I noticed Daniel Garcia was, like, really glaring at the back of his head most but of the time. But I
1: thought time. they had some kind of interaction, and then they kind of, like, shook hands or something.
0: Probably. Okay. But I could still see that being in an Oh, angle. eventually, yeah. Absolutely,
1: like who who's Jericho's, you know, right hand man, or is like you know, pet project. I could Whoops. I could totally see jealousy <laughs> happening here. Um, I don't know, and I, Garcia definitely seems like a better fit for you know the Blackpool, you know, combat club. Um, but he's a great heel right now, so I don't necessarily want to see him leave anytime soon.
0: After that segment, we had another one with Hangman in the back. Uh, talking about being eliminated in the battle royal a couple weeks ago. Uh, then John Silver and Alex Reynolds come out and you know explain that they're mad and want to challenge the House of Black on Rampage. I didn't understand the correlation. Uh, oh, is is it because the
1: uh, House of Black eliminated Hangman in that match? I believe so. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. I'm. I think I'm just over. The Dark Order at this point. And I enjoy <laughs> their segments on like BTE and everything, but they don't translate well, at least recently on Dynamite. Especially like John Silver's humor. <laughs> it just I don't know, it's just not clicking for me at all. Um right now it feels like Hangman's road is back to, you know, being with the Bucks and crew they've been you know dropping some huge hints on bte uh they did a whole segment with matt jackson uh writing a text to hangman you know basically apologizing for everything that happened in the past Mm -hmm. and then he erases it quickly there was also a segment before that where they're talking about how like they're just you know all they've got is each other right now since everyone's injured you know except for and then they kind of like pause and they're alluding to hangman um so it really feels like they're leading to some kind of reunion. I don't know exactly when that's going to take place. And I feel like that's all going to be dictated by who's healthy and who's not when it comes to, you know, the super elite or whatever the hell they call it, the undisputed elite. Uh-huh. Although I think Bobby Fish wrestled on Dark or something. So he must be cleared at this point. Okay. So, you know, we haven't heard anything about Cole or um, O'Reilly. So, and God knows what the hell's going on with Omega, but who knows, especially with what happened during the main event tonight.
0: But again, if they don't have anything, you know, in their minds for the Dark Order in the future, if they don't have anything like six months from now, they don't have any idea what to do with them. There's no point. Yeah, there's no point in keeping that a faction. (sighs) I I agree,
1: unfortunately, because I do like the group together. It's just, Uh it's just grown so stale like they need their own program right now. Can't just keep on being like Hangman sidekicks. Mm. Like at this like at this story's going nowhere. You know, unless you're going to have like Hangman officially join the dark order, which it just seems like they're unwilling to do, then they need to just move on or do what we talked about last week and turn them heel. Cuz I think that's probably the most interesting thing you could do right now. It, I mean, it's going to be hard for people to boo him, like, you know, with everything that's happened, you know, over the past, like, year or so. But I, I think there's probably a way
0: to do it that makes sense. Have, have them join up with Christian and just start insulting people's families. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants that. <laughs> Christian
1: definitely doesn't need any help either, so. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yo, have them become, like, minions of the House of Black or something. And have them become, like, their pawns. I don't know. Or, like, get the trio belts you know, going, you know, have that division start because at least you could have some serious, like, faction warfare going on. All
0: right, up next, we had Claudio going over Jake Hager after uh, their words from last week. Those was a solid,
1: hard hitting match, you know, definitely what I would expect from these two. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this definitely served the purpose of getting Claudio. You know, on camera, getting a big win and keeping him front and center for your audience. Uh, It sounds like he's going to be contending for the ROH uh, championship on the upcoming pay-per-view. So I'm sure that's part of it. But I mean, I was just happy to see this because how many times have we've had wrestlers debut like to huge reactions and then get kind of lost in the shuffle? Yes. So I'm I'm happy that, you know, he's still being featured weekly on mm-hmm. the show. And hopefully that continues.
0: I thought it was a really fun match. And I'm glad to see, you know, if if they're going to do more with the Ring of Honor titles that, you know, they have someone with a lot of interest behind him going over there and doing that matchup and possibly becoming the next Ring of Honor World Champion.
1: You could see that happening, too. I mean, they just turned Jonathan Gresham heel. So mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing for this very reason to go up against Claudio. Um, so... Who better to be walking around with that belt to put some, you know, steam behind it than, you know, Cesaro or Claudio, sorry, because at least it's a face that everyone recognizes where I think a lot of the audience still doesn't even know who Gresham is. And It'll be a nice story because it'll be the first time that he's won that title. I think in general, it might actually be his first world title. That's crazy to say that he never got a world title <laughs> in WWE. I know, right? Vince just didn't see it, I guess.
0: Up next, we had a brief appearance by Hook as he was uh, kind of interviewed about possibly having a championship opportunity in the near future. I cringed at this. Um, I
1: think this is way too soon. Um, I feel like Hook needs to just like keep on, you know, winning matches. You know, be on that lower mid card, getting over uh, because right now, like, I don't see him walking away with any of the titles. So what's the point in putting him in a high profile match just to lose? I think that's Mm going to do nothing but hurt him. So I'd rather have them hold off on this for like a year or so and let him keep on like building up steam. Because uh, I feel like he did kind of, like, lose something during that Dan Housen, like, promo. Um, you know, he kind of lost that edge. So um, I'm hoping he can regain that with a bunch of, you know, you know high-profile squash matches. I don't want to see him, like, in some kind of mini-feud where he ends up having to lose. Because I definitely—he's not going to beat Wardlow. He's not going to beat Moxley. And, and yeah. I don't see him going after Pac. So I, I don't know. Yeah, unless it's, like, an
0: ROH belt— But then, who cares? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I could see him beating Pac at All Out if they wanted to do the All Atlantic title. I still
1: feel like it's too soon. Like, he's well-protected right now in those matches. Um, I don't think he's ready for, you know, a barn burner with Pac. You know, Mm. a a good 20-minute match on pay-per-view. So, I mean... And it's not his fault. He's young and incredibly green. And they've done a great job of really like accentuating his strengths and hiding his weaknesses. But just because he's getting over doesn't mean you should pull the trigger too so uh,
0: as we mentioned earlier we had a video package from thunder rosa losing in japan to miyu yamashida uh and right after that we got a moment with thunderstorm in the backstage uh running into Britt baker and jamie hater yeah so i guess this is one of those championship eliminator
1: matches that we were just talking about yes <laughs> uh I thought this was pretty cool that, you know, they had someone, you know, from across the sea actually, you know, beat your champion, that they're willing to do that. Um, You know, I guess. How do you. What's her name again, Christian? Uh, I think it's Miyu Yamashita is how I'm pronouncing it, at least at the moment. (laughs) However you say her name. I've heard nothing but awesome things about her. A lot of people are praising her as being like, you know, one of the best women wrestlers going today. So it's a pretty big deal if they could get her you know, over on AEW TV. And if they can work out some kind of deal where she's featured regularly, um, I don't know if that's going to be the case, but I mean, obviously something has to be worked out. Um, you know, some kind of agreement that they would allow someone from the outside to pin their champion.
0: No, it's crazy to think that one of our champions can go over state, like to another country and lose, you know, that's not something we see that often. Oh yeah. Uh, no, there's WWE there's would totally... never
1: allow. Anything yeah, exactly. Like that
0: to happen <laughs> And there was all those reports recently about New Japan and AEW working with like Joshi wrestlers to try and get them visas and stuff so that they'll be able to work over the states and stuff like that in the future. So it, it should be interesting. Yeah, there was,
1: was uh talks between I guess AEW and stardom recently. Yeah. So uh so yeah, we'll see if anything, you know, comes out of it. Uh it, it just feels like a natural relationship though.
0: So David, how did you feel about uh the sandbagging event? I hated every second of it. Uh, I thought it was absolutely (laughs) absurd. Um, I can't stand
1: the fact that we're back to Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker already. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once again, you've got a much bigger women's roster, so there's no reason to be going to the well this many times. Um, And I understand Britt's a big star, but come on. You know, she can be in some other feud right now and be just fine. You have plenty of women wrestlers to go up against Britt. Or just go with the natural, you know, program of Brit, you know, versus Jamie Hayter, like them finally come coming to odds with a which they've teased plenty in the past. And maybe that's what this is all about. Maybe that's going to lead to this. Um, But all the inside baseball bullshit with the sandbag referencing everything that happened between Thunder Rosa and uh, Marina Shafir uh, like a month ago too. like this isn't something that just happened last week. So it was a little awkward, you know, because at first I was like, what the fuck? Like, this is horrible. When she brought out the sandbag and everything, I was like, oh, I know what they're doing. There was an accusation of Thunder Rosa possibly sandbagging Marina during their match. Obviously, they worked things out because they wouldn't be doing you know, this little segment, if that wasn't the case. Uh, but yeah, like I don't need like Thunder Rosa making a comment about burying someone and, you know, just way too much inside baseball that I'm sure flew over like 70% of your audience's head.
0: Uh-huh. And it's just like, what, what would any of this mean to them in character anyway? Like, yes, it doesn't
1: work. It doesn't work. And you're, dr- <laughs> yeah, you're destroying the third wall because what does sandbagging mean? Like, obviously, like, you're not supposed to be going along with the moves, right? The wrestling (laughs) drill. So, I mean, it's just too much inside bullshit. It's too cute for my liking. Like, I watch wrestling wanting to suspend that disbelief. Like, I don't want to believe that this is fake while I'm watching the product. Like, obviously, Uh I'm a rational human being, and we have a podcast where we talk about wrestling. So we know it's fucking fake. (laughs) But I don't want to feel that way while I'm watching it. So I, I just didn't need this shit. And I'm, I'm so sick. And once again, Christian, check the clock. This happened uh-huh. <laughs> during the second quarter of the second hour. Like, it's like that's like the women's segment, you know, on Dynamite for, for at least the past couple of months. So, of course, mm. we got a women's segment, interview segment. And then right after this is a women's match, I believe. So that seems like their quarter for some reason. And that's all they get. And, and nothing more. God it.
0: Another thing I don't get right now is just where they're going to go with Thunderstorm. Like I thought this would be like something, oh, it's like a one-time team-up or maybe two times max, but it wouldn't be like, you know, we're continuing on, we're all wearing the merch now yeah. together. and you know. Something <laughs> cute to sell t-shirts, that's what it seemed like, uh-huh. right? Um, because
1: I don't feel like they're going to be doing a tag division. Of any kind. no. I mean, especially if they're if the women are only getting one segment a week. <laughs> like It doesn't work. Um, you know, and I do feel like at this point, they might be close to being ready to have, you know, tag belts. But if Tony's not willing to feature them, then what's the point? Then you got a situation like, you know, WWE's tag belts. Exactly. Which we don't want. So <laughs> my guess is just probably going to end up leading to some kind of like heel turn for Tony Storm. Like she's going to stab Rosa in the back. And then instead of baby face versus baby face, like their first match, you're going to actually have like a blood feud on your hands between the two.
0: I agree with you, but I feel like it would be Thunder being the one that turns rather than uh, Tony. You think she would turn? I don't know.
1: I don't know. I I feel like Thunder losing to Yamashita is all kind of part of it. And now that, you know, she's going to get a title match against Thunder, that's going to lead to some kind of jealousy, you know, with Tony. So definitely not the best storyline, but (laughs) it's something at least.
0: Up next, we had Serena Deeb defeating Anna Jay in her hometown. Are we sure Vince wasn't booking this? (laughs)
1: Uh, (laughs) I thought this match for like 75% of it was okay. But then they kind of got lost near the tail end. I don't know. I know Deeb is supposed to be getting a title match uh, at the ROH pay-per-view. So I'm sure that's why she's being featured here. Mm-hmm. But like, where the fuck is Ember Moon? <laughs> like, <laughs> why is she just regulated to like, you know, Rampage at this point? Like she she's... just debuted. Uh-huh. You know, I-, I promised I wasn't going to go into a rant about the women's division. But this is just so fucking frustrating. <laughs> like, you know and once again this this is a self-inflicted wound it wouldn't be an issue if there was more than just one women's match per dynamite um but that seems to be the formula right now that they're going with and it had it, it it's been the formula that they've been going with for you know well over a year at this point um if not since the beginning of AEW, honestly uh so i don't know maybe i just need to get over it
0: i mean for the most part i enjoyed the match i but I agree with you. It's, it's just more of the same. I, I get what they're doing with this. I like, I totally I keep forgetting that she's in a match with Mercedes Martinez yeah. at the pay per view. Well, if you don't watch but Rampage, you wouldn't know because mm. that's where all like they had a
1: tag team. Yo, know, it's basically pretty much what feels like is going to happen between Thunder Rosa and uh, Tony Storm. They had a tag gotcha. team for no reason with them both trying to one up each other. And then, of course, things came to head and, you know, Deep turned on Mercedes. So now they're going to have this title match at, at uh, Ring of Honor. Whatever. Like, everyone saw it coming uh, from day one. Um, uh-huh. I did enjoy the team together, though. <laughs> so I was kind of secretly hoping that it would last. But, of course, you know, I don't know. It's just it's so typical of how, like, WWE books their, you know, tag team. You know, division where, you know, you constantly have, you know, the tag team that just, you know, will they get along? Can they coexist? And that seems to be the boat that, you know, the AEW women's divisions in now, you know, when they do have tag team matches like these women just can't get along long enough to like, you know, get a couple wins together or even start a fucking tag team division. So whatever
0: sticking to the women's block we had a moment with jade cargill along with stokely in the back talking about the baddies and what's going on there with layla gray being an interim baddie right now uh stokely said to just trust him and we kept moving on
1: like it wouldn't be so noticeable that they were all like you know if they didn't have all the <laughs> women's segments like clumped together like this
0: uh-huh
1: <laughs> it's like the women's block of dynamite right it's like back to back to back Like, spread them out, Tony. Don't make it so fucking obvious. (laughs) (laughs) It's just uh, such a waste of Jade to have her, like, standing backstage, like, this week after week. Like, she should be defending the title at least a couple times a month. Right? You know, or at least have a match a couple times a month. But... I feel like they've been getting away from that for some reason because she was wrestling a lot more before, you know, they started really with, you know, paying attention to the streak that she was on. And then after that, it feels like her like defenses like really like took a downtick, you know, and now we barely see her in the ring. So I don't know. I don't know what they're doing here. Like she's not even in a real
0: feud. No, I mean it's supposed to be some situation with Ember Moon and them, but it doesn't. Who's getting it the title seems shot? To feature yeah, her. I'm sure we're leading towards
1: some kind of tag match with you know Jade and you know uh, Kira Hogan versus you know Amber Moon and you know Chris Statlander, right? And it's just such a weird situation because you've got two baby faces going after the heel champion so i mean i know she's got the baddies but she's just outnumbered and then like which one of these baby faces are going to end up actually being like the number one contender for this belt you know or is it just going to end up being like a three-way match and i feel like it's it's hurting like uh athena's you know debut here you know, I know like hmm. Statlander like caught fire, but I feel like there's got to be something else she could be doing right now. You know, let, you know, you know, Athena get her title shot and then, you know, have Statlander come in, you know, and, and you know, get a shot. So and maybe they'll do that. But this is such a long route to get there. <laughs> I just I just hate this women's division. I just I want to say that one more time. <laughs> and it's not any of the women's fault. You know, they're just being so poorly booked
0: it's tons of talent no it's not like they do especially
1: now They you know before i can make mm-hmm. sense of it i'm about to go in a ring <laughs> before i can make sense of it because <laughs> you know they didn't have the talent that first year but now that they've made all these like big signings what are you fucking doing like how do you expect this division to get over with your crowd if you're not bothering featuring them on your tv right Like you're basically telling everyone every week that the women's division is less than the men's division, you know, because you're giving them one fucking match per week. And it's all like clumped together too. like all their interview and promo segments are all clumped together in one block. So it just, it's like you're training your audience not to pay attention during this block. And I guarantee you, if there's some kind of analytic that kind of like figured out, well, well, this is where we can kind of like sacrifice, you know, ratings or something. And that's why this is (laughs) happening right now. You know, uh-huh. as ridiculous as that sounds.
0: I mean, even after Excalibur, you know, goes through all the matches that are coming out the next few weeks, or next week, I should say, uh, you know, the next thing, again, was just one more, you know, moment for the women's division before we, you know, finally end the women's yeah. block, it seems, <laughs> on the show. Sick. Don't get it. Whatever. Right. We had
1: Taikani uh, confronting Anna Jay in the back, you know, and basically yes. trying to get her to join up with her. Um, Or at least alluding to that. So we'll see what happens. It feels like Anna Jay is on her way out of the Dark Order anyway. I mean, she's even back in her magician (laughs) getup, which is just the worst gimmick in the world. I don't understand that at all. I mean, it's a good way to make your fucking career disappear. Like, that's just a horrible gimmick. But anyway, she wore it, like, in her debut match. And that was it. So, um, but anyway, so for some reason, she's wearing that. We'll see if they end up, you know, they were best buddies before. Um, I thought the feud was going to be, you know, Ty Conte versus Ruby. So that makes me wonder if Ruby's actually hurt. Like I was saying before. Um, but maybe we're mm-hmm. going into like an
0: Anna J. Ty Conti program, which I mean, has potential.
1: If they actually get to wrestle on
0: TV. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I didn't know if they were like trying to build another team for like Thunderstorm to go up against like an actual heel team from yeah. him in case but that what's was something that they of these wanted tag- to do so but... there's
1: no fucking belts.
0: <laughs> I don't know, David. I don't know. <laughs> uh, whatever. Anyway, let's move on. What
1: what do we got next, Gresham?
0: Um as I just mentioned a minute ago, you know, Excalibur went through kind of the matches coming up uh on Rampage we're going to have the Ring of Honor World Championship Jonathan Gresham versus Lee Moriarty. Uh the Gun Club is going to be speaking and we have the Lucha Brothers versus Private Party. Uh, Which, for some reason, still has Andrade watching over them. I I don't know what that's about. Don't
1: get me started.
0: (laughs) 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 I thought he came out and said he hates that he,
1: or at least he said he hates the name of the group. Right? He didn't say he actually hates the group. I felt like he's like moving on and doing his own thing with Rouge Uh now. So, I mean, maybe this is where it all comes to head, and he disowns Private Party. know, because these guys also need to be featured more. They're fantastic, but we never get to see them wrestle except for, like, giant, like, six-man tags. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they've been off the screen for the last, like, couple months since,
0: like, Hardy left the group, so. Yeah, I could see um, Andrade and Roosh maybe, like, turning on their gear and, like, they have, like, a small feud for, like, a month or something. Yeah, and then, tops. yeah,
1: turn, like, private party babyface again. Yeah. So, I mean... Like I said, I mean they're young, talented wrestlers who deserve to be featured at least in your tag mm. division.
0: Uh next week on Dynamite will be a barbed wire everywhere deathmatch <laughs> between Eddie Kingston versus Chris Jericho, with of course JAS suspended in a cage. I can't I can't believe that's actually what it's called. <laughs> yes. Everywhere deathmatch. They could have come up wire. with a better, like, creative name,
1: like barbed wire party or barbed wire massacre, or like barbed
0: wire everywhere really <laughs> uh, yeah i don't know what that means uh, exactly um <laughs> uh, christian cage and luchasaurus are going to be going up against the varsity blondes okay. uh, there's your second chance for him to again bring up oh, God, please, dead ones <laughs> knock on wood that doesn't happen and then uh brody king versus darby allen was also announced during this segment Uh, He also started bringing up all the Ring of Honor Death Before Dishonor matches, but during that he got interrupted by Jay Lethal and company, who came out to talk about embarrassing Joe at Death Before Dishonor.
1: Yeah, I was kind of expecting Joe to actually show up here, because
0: when was the last time we saw Joe? (laughs) I guess they don't need him to sell the event, and, and it apparently, it, supposedly he's not injured, so it's uh-huh. just a,
1: like a scheduling conflict with the show he's like shooting right now. Um, but hopefully, they get him at some point before the pay per view to, you know, like you said, sell the thing. Um, mm-hmm. But that doesn't feel like it's going to be the case whatsoever. Because that's
0: like in two weeks. <laughs> yeah. So, oh shit! You're right. That is
1: in two weeks. So. Yeah, there's not a lot of time left, and I'm so sick of these segments with Jay Lethal and Dutt. Uh-huh. So uh, they need to do something. At least have them
0: wrestling on the show, uh, but whatever. Uh, well, that leads us into our main event, which was for the AEW World Tag Team Championships uh, that featured the Young Bucks, uh, Swerve in Our Glory, and Powerhouse Hobbs with Starks. Uh, with Swerve and our glory actually getting the win, that's Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee in a big surprise to everyone. Yeah, this was a big surprise. Um, I did feel like the
1: first half of the match was a little clunky and maybe part of it was me just not being 100% like invested In this match, just because I felt like there was no way that the Bucks wouldn't walk away with the titles, Um, I I also felt like the crowd was kind of like sitting on their hands. Uh, But like I said before, this wasn't the best AEW crowd they've ever had. So, um, but you know, as always, the Bucks and whoever they're in the ring with, you know, end up finding a way to hook you. And then by like you know the second part of the match, I mean really the last five minutes, I was completely on the edge of my seat. Um, You know, even though I still didn't like, 100% believe that the Bucs could possibly, you know, lose those belts, especially so soon. Um, Uh Just everything that they put together was so fantastic and breathtaking in the ring, which really should be no surprise to anyone, because all three of these teams are fantastic. So, um, but yeah, but when, like, you know, swerve to their glory, which still doesn't roll off the tongue that well, actually got the one, two, three and won those belts. I mean, it was a huge moment. I mean, this moment was definitely fueled by the fact that AEW doesn't do tons of like title changes. Um, so it was a, a nice surprise. Um, I feel like most likely within the next like month or so, the Bucks will probably win those belts back. Because it feels like just a foregone conclusion that you're going to have FTR versus the Bucks for literally all of the gold uh, uh-huh. in the wrestling world <laughs> uh, at, you know, all out. Uh, but which should probably main event, to be honest. It could. I mean, I'm sure you're going to probably have a return in CM Punk, though, in Chicago. Uh-huh. So that's probably not going to be the case, but it definitely would be worthy of the main event. And it would be my guess them regaining the titles will all stem from friction between, you know, Swerve and Keith Lee, uh, which they even played up during this match. I mean, you had a moment where Swerve turned around after hitting everyone with the title and looked like he was going to actually take out Keith Lee, too. Which made absolutely no logical sense. No, Because <laughs> it's not, not like they even had like <laughs> any kind of moment during this match which would lead to Swerve turning on Keith Lee. Like, why would you wait to the title match or tag title match to make this huge turn? Um, so it was a little odd, but you know, I get it. You want to remind your audience of this friction, uh, but yeah, no, I'm guessing that Swerve will finally turn on Lee. You know, and cost them the tag team titles. Bucks will get their belts back. Um, I'm also wondering if, like, Hangman is going to end up p- playing a role somehow, too. Um, you know, not necessarily in like interfering or anything like that, or like maybe he'll be in their corner or give them some kind of pep talk, um, you know, turning them babyface, especially if Cole and the rest of, you know, Undisputed Era are going to be out any longer. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, just because they're, you know, just planting so many seeds over the past like couple weeks. So um, there's a lot of moving parts, you know, going on in this tag team division. So and usually I would definitely like cringe with the belts being on a tag team that's, you know, doing the typical WWE gimmick of, you know, not getting along. But I don't know. It's a welcome change to things. And it's something that AEW hasn't done that much of. Um, And I just like the fact that, you know, we've got, you know, such a fast turnaround. It's, you know, it's something that we haven't seen in AEW much, Um, you know, and it's not something I want to become a regular thing. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like it's good for every one of the divisions to have a title change like this once in a while to keep Mm -hmm. everyone on their toes to make people believe there is that slight possibility that something like this could happen. So, um, I'd also be fine if, you know, Keith Lee and Swerve were able to put their differences aside and they go on a nice little run. That would be absolutely fine too, because I feel like they've got great chemistry in the ring. I just think at this point, the road really leads to an FTR Young Buck match for, you know, all the gold. So, um, I I don't think that's
0: going to happen. Yeah, I don't think they would want to wait till like revolution. For no, that type of match revolutions at in all. like February.
1: <laughs> so, exactly. No, no. there's a, there's a, there's full gear in November, so I I think that, okay that would be a more likely scenario, but I doubt it. I feel like that's going to be an all out match. I
0: just forgot which one was in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. But no, I was completely taken by surprise by this match because I like sitting there I was like, oh man, you know they look so great in this match. I'm. It's a shame that they won't win, but. There, there they went. They, they actually got it. Um, I think the thing I have with this is like, you know, one of the reasons I don't have a problem is because I know both these guys will have massive careers in singles divisions as well after this. Like, I don't think they're going to just flounder and go disappear after their feud is over with. You know, oh. I feel like as soon as this is, you know, done, Keith Lee and Swerve both have, you know, world title opportunities in their future.
1: No, 100%. I agree. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is just the start of their careers in AEW. Exactly. So, and the fact that, you know, I mean, Keith Lee, what, he's been there less than six months, right? Same with Swerve. They both mm. came around the same time. So, the fact that they've already put, you know, the tag titles on them, I feel like really just means that there's big things in the future, you know, on the horizon for both of them. Um, deservingly so. And once again, surprises are a good thing in wrestling. So, you can't do them too often. But mm-hmm. when you do them at the right time, they can lead to huge moments like this.
0: I don't know if it's the opposite or not, but I think there was a curse with taking off Matt's shoe and that they would always win whoever took off Matt's shoe. Really? <laughs> yes. I did like, not uh, hear the, this. The Young Bucks would win if the, uh, Matt lost his shoe in the match, but I think it's the opposite now. Oh, I think this breaks well, it at
1: least. Yeah, it, it feels <laughs> like the curse is probably broken, right? Because uh-huh. they went on a tirade to hitting people with Matt's shoe exactly yeah i i've never heard of that right like is that something they've said on dynamite or is that something it's just social media i think it's just like
0: (laughs) don't worry
1: i mean it is hard to keep track of things with a four-man booth sometimes so i wouldn't Uh i wouldn't be surprised if i just missed that but yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, overall, not a bad show. And I'm really looking forward to what Fighter Fest brings to us next. Yeah, I can't wait to see Brody King throwing Darby around the ring. I think that's going to be amazing. <laughs> or out of the ring. I mean, that's yes. definitely going to happen. It should be a fun match. I also wouldn't be surprised if uh, Moxley has to defend the title. You know, I'm on one of the knights. So it feels because mm. I feel like usually that, you know, the heavyweight champion defends the title during Fighter Fest at some point, so... Um, you know, and this is the first time it's been like, you know, they're counting it as four nights because they're counting the yeah. rampages. So I, I think they'll probably sneak in, you know, some match in there for him. Like, because I feel like Moxley's definitely going to be that fighting champion, you know, you know, until he gets to Punk and then he'll have like nothing left in the tank or something.
0: Maybe you get a contender on next week's Dynamite, and then they do it on Rampage or something.
1: Come on, you know Tony's just gonna name a fucking contender. that will come out of left fields. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be someone we don't see coming at all, like Bear Bronson or something ridiculous like that, uh-huh. <laughs> who somehow has like a thirty and like three record. And that's the problem, right? <laughs> I wouldn't either. Uh, but you know what? I I feel like we've been critical enough this week. I mean. We're only critical because we love the product and we want it to be the best it can be. So hopefully next week we do a lot less bitching and it's all rainbows and puppy dog tails. Right, Christian? Absolutely.
0: I hope so. (laughs) And barbed wire everywhere. Oh, I don't hope it's barbed wire everywhere. I'd like to walk. Well, at least not on the puppy dog tails, right? Yeah, please no.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, join us next week for night three of Fighter Fest. Well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us
0: a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours to continue to grow.
1: And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more.
0: That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want
1: to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next
0: week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show.
1: You wanna get to him, you gotta go through me. And me.
0: Me too. Very well.